Blog Talk Radio. Have you been forced fed milk by your preachers and teachers? Have you been crying out for the meat of the scripture? Then you have come to the right place. Extreme Exegesis with Matthew Miller. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this inaugural episode of Extreme Exegesis. I am your host, Matthew Miller. It is a great pleasure and an honor to be with you for this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a long time in coming. I've been getting requests to go back to what I originally started way back in the beginning of 2010, my personal Bible studies. So, for those new listeners that have been following me since that time, you probably need an introduction to how I view time itself. So please take note that most of you are going to want to know the question. Now the problem with the question is that only in your mind is it considered the question. Because it's not. That question in your mind that has preeminence is, is the rapture pre, mid, or post-tribulation? That question in of itself is not biblical. The word rapture is not in the Bible. Most Bible studies today will say that it is the word harpazo. That particular word, taken from that particular verse, is not harpazo. It is arpagiomothea. So you'll take note that this is not spelt with a pi. It's spelt with a gamma. So you need to take a close inspection of the text itself. You will plainly see that it is a different Strong's number than you have been told. It is not G726. It's G724. That should be disturbing enough to you. But let me go further. Our Pajamothea is a closed triple compound word in Greek. The Strong's does not even remotely cover that particular word. You will take note that the Strong's cannot include every word as it appears in the Bible, God's holy word, because it would literally be equal to the Encyclopedia Britannica, the full volume set, including the Macropedia. It would literally be upwards of 30 plus volumes. So, 
with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, today when you look at Bible studies, you're basically going to get eschatology viewed in one of two ways. It's either going to see all prophecy as the future or futuristic, or it's going to see it as being fulfilled in the past. This is historical prophecy. Today, a more common term used is preterism. Ladies and gentlemen, I am neither of those. The Lord our God instructs us in his Bible, God's Holy Word, that time is cyclical. This is why I use the term isochronal eschatology. That's what it means, that time goes around in a circle. Scholars today use the term eternal return, or simply put, time repeats. This is the way God states that it is, and it is no other way, and any other representation of time is a lie. So with that in mind, you need to know that I hold to promise eschatology. Now, what is that? When we look at the reason why prophecy is even given, you will take note, ladies and gentlemen, that all prophecy is set to fulfill the events of Genesis chapter 15. That's what it does, and that is what it is for. It is to fulfill the promise. This is what you are even now. And all the people that have been saved before you, that is what they are. They have acquired an inheritance from God. You are, as the New Testament defines you to be, children of the promise. The technon epigelia in the Greek. This is what you are, your children of the promise. What is that promise? We get it in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 5. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven. And tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. This is where prophecy begins, with the promise. You will take note, this is not the verse quoted in the New Testament by way of the book of Hebrews. Because that says something entirely different. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 12, it quotes from the next time God relays the promise. Going all the way to Genesis chapter 22 verse 17, God says this, That in I will bless thee, and in 
multiplying. I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, with a very simplistic viewing of the original languages, with which I call the Bible source code, because it is in fact a binary language. God really did state it in Hebrew, and he really did state it in Greek. Now, this is another thing that's going to take you by surprise, ladies and gentlemen. Because you've never heard that before. 100% of the Bible scholars out there are extremely limited in their capacity to deliver to you everything that God said. Because no single language can contain what God says. So, when you investigate modern Bible teachers, you will find that they either hold to the Hebrew or they hold to the Greek. They put upon a pedestal either the Masoretic text or the Septuagint, neither are ever included as equating to the Bible God's Holy Word. But you will take note, in recent times, especially with the work of David Rolfe, it has been exposed that particularly chronology can be corrected using the Septuagint. So with this in mind, your foundation that you're going to learn from is this. You must realize that God's holy word is an alphanumerical language. Now what do I mean by that? Arabic numerals was never in the Masoretic text, the Septuagint, or the New Testament. Never. It never contained Arabic numerals. That came from Fibonacci in the 700s. You'll take note that this coincides with when the Arabs seized control of the Temple Mount. So, with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, you must realize that you're going to hear me quote for the Septuagint, and that is true. But it's only partially true. That truth is completed utilizing the Hebrew. Imagine if you have one algebraic equation that's 20 pages long. This is how I did things when I was in high school. We would only get one problem per day, but that problem... And my children today even marvel because I kept the notebooks and the homework assignments from high school. Those problems would be two, three, even four pages long. The problem, not the answer, just the problem. So, with this in mind, for the Old Testament, I will use the Masoretic Text and the Septuagint. For the New Testament, I will use the Editto Regia. 
Now, let's take pause with that right now. You need to come to grips with what the New Testament is. And the New Testament is quite different than you have thought before now. Now, a lot of people think that it's the Texas Receptus. It is not the Texas Receptus. The Texas Receptus is just the name given to the succession of printed Greek text in the New Testament. That's all it is. You will take note that the Editor Regia is the one Stephanus did in the 1500s that coincided with, of course, the great sign in the heavens in the sign of the restrainer, Ophiuchus. Please look this supernova up. You will take note that they've changed his name. Stephanos is not his original name. But you need to understand that he utilized two secret manuscripts which he noted as Iota Alpha and Iota Final Sigma. Why is this important? This is why everybody accepted that he is the one that divided the Bible God's Holy Word into chapters and verses. That's where you get it from is the Adidal Regia. And I'll tell you why they accepted it. These two manuscripts he kept secret. He refused to reveal that information, where they came from, who they came from, not only to the church leaders, but to the government leaders. Because he kept it secret, because he kept those two manuscripts safe, that is why the church in its entirety accepted the Adito Regia. So, ladies and gentlemen, you'll take note. When these manuscripts were changed and altered over time, and it was done many times, of course, most of you probably realize that the greatest corruption that ever came to the Adito Regia was the Westcott and Hort altercation of it. But it has been altered many times. Many times by many people. Now, it's just amazing that people in the church today have no idea that it was altered by uh, John Mill uh, in the 1600s. Bangle altered it. Lockman altered it. Ladies and gentlemen, you really do have the correct Greek manuscript, and all of your forefathers in the church knew it. It was the Adito Regia. Now, like I stated, the Bible God's Holy Word did not even have chapters and verses until the Adito Regia. So please try to understand that. <clears throat> Now, this means that you actually do have a manuscript you can trust. And we're talking 
all the denominations, the entire planet, accepted the Aditya as the Bible, God's holy word. Now, you will take note that it is the Geneva Bible and the Geneva Bible alone that is an English translation of the Aditya And it amazes me that the church has not been taught this. It absolutely amazes me. It, it just blows me away. But people don't realize that there was a great sign in the heavens accompanying the, well, the translation that supplanted the Ditto Regia and the Geneva Bible. It was, of course, the KJV. You will have to come to a reckoning in your mind that, ladies and gentlemen, Kepler's supernova that occurred in the sign of the restrainer Ophiuchus at the commissioning of the King James Bible is exactly what King James was observing in the heavens. Now, you all know that it was completed in 1611. However, it was commissioned in 1604. Now, you will take note that this was the second supernova observed in this time frame. The one before it was 1572. That is Tekio's supernova. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is why you really can't trust anything after this event. You will take note that the supernova in 1572 was in the sign of the, well, the bridal queen. That's what you're supposed to be. It was in Cassiopeia. So, ladies and gentlemen, God was using celestial somology to let you know not to trust anything after the Adido Regia and not to trust anything after the Geneva Bible. Now, with that in mind, let's get back to the promise. You will take note that in Genesis 15, God tells Abraham to number them. He tells Abraham to count. But in Genesis chapter 22, God multiplies. You have to realize that a quarter of all information in the Bible is numbers. Because when God speaks, it's also numbers. As I stated, both Hebrew and Greek is an alphanumeric language. Every letter is a number. There was no one, two, threes. Those are Arabic numerals. So when we just take a look at the scripture, take note, these modern scholars, they call this gematria. They call it witchcraft. 
I assure you it is not. It is alphanumerics. Please look up the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts and see if you can find Arabic numerals. They're not there. And as I stated, one time in the promise, God tells Abraham to count. And the next time in the promise, God multiplies. He's showing it to you right up front, right in your face. You will take note that we are going to talk about integers of time here as well. Time itself is mathematical. Now, as of late, I've been talking about the great day of he who sitteth upon the throne, which is the sixth seal, which is Isaiah 24. Time is going to go topsy-turvy. He cracks time. This is defined in your Bibles. Please look it up. In Daniel, he states the 1,290 days will be elongated to 1,335. He comes right out and tells you. Why are those two integers important with time? Why is that? You will take note he has no problem telling you alphanumerically when this event's going to happen. In Exodus, the third chapter, he comes out and tells you that. And the time integers here is very amazing. It's amazing. Because it's kind of hard to word, but he says, when I come down, or, well, me coming down is really what it states, to deliver you, in that verse, in one verse, holds the alphanumerical calculations with phrases of 1290 and 1335. Those two integers directly tie in to the circle of the earth. And many people don't realize that. Ladies and gentlemen, let me explain something to you. When you take the integers that God says he's going to stretch out time, I call it when time goes topsy-turvy. When you take 1335 and divide it by 1290, you're going to come to the decibel 1.034. I know what that is because I have studied astronomy. Try to wrap your mind around this, ladies and gentlemen. When you take a fraction and make a fraction out of those two numbers, that would be 1335 over 1290, you reduce that fraction, it becomes 517 over 500. Everybody knows that. But that expression, 1.034, that directly ties to the Earth's orbit. You have to understand that the Earth's orbital eccentricity from the center of the Sun is, well, it's different than its actual orbital eccentricity. Because the Earth does not perfectly go around the Sun. Now listen, Earth's annual orbit, that ratio, remember it's not a perfect circle around the center point of that orbit. Its longest radius 
in direct proportion to the shortest radius is 1.034 relative to the center point of path. All astronomers know this. Now there's something else very important that you need to see. That 517 alphanumeric is extremely important because God doesn't have a problem with showing you the truth. Let me explain. The title for this episode utilizes the three R's. Everybody knows what the three R's are. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. But those three words are not spelt that way. Reading is spelt with an R. Writing is spelt with a W. And arithmetic is spelt with an A. So, ladies and gentlemen, when you read the Bible God's Holy Word, you listen to the words. But when you look at that verse, you see numbers. So, ladies and gentlemen, 517, that integer is, of course, contained in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 33. The word there used, ladies and gentlemen, for time, it's absolutely wonderful to look at it in the Hebrew. You have to know and understand there that God literally comes out and tells you when he's going to ordain time because he uses H6186. However, he includes within it an extra vault. So he actually says, Aruk. That means to order. The next thing that comes out of his mouth is H865. But ladies and gentlemen, this has a prefix mem on it. That is 517. God literally come out and told you using this integer when the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 30, which is contained within the Apocalypse of Isaiah, when he's going to do this thing, you will take note. If you read this chapter in the plain English, he gives you many signs here as to when this is going to happen. But basically, this chapter is a detailed representation of exactly what's going to happen before the Lord your God comes down and has a look and see. We all know the famous ones from this chapter. The light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be seven times brighter, like the light of seven days. On the day the Lord binds up the fracture of his people, ladies and gentlemen, he's calculating to you. So, this is how the Bible God's Holy Word must be viewed. It must be viewed this way. You really are, when you look at the original languages, you are reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's what you're really doing. Because there's no way to contain all the information with just one language. So... We're also going to look at the perfect nature of the text. You'll take note that the Bible itself, the canon, 
is structured off the 66 books of Isaiah. So we're not only going to be utilizing the alphanumerics, that's only a part of biblical mechanics. We can actually take those 66 books and the chapters from the Adito Regia and wrap the Old Testament around the New Testament and the chapters will line up. Now you will take note. This is just like Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes. So Genesis 1-1 will line up with Matthew 1-1. And you just keep going around in circles. And this is called the Bible wrap. Now I am the author of the synoptic wrap. That is my own innovation. What is that? That's when you take the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you take the rest of the New Testament and wrap them around the synoptic Gospels. I will also be utilizing that biblical mechanic. So you will take note that biblical mechanics constitute exactly what the text does itself. You have the words... Those words are also integers. This is only half of biblical mechanics. The other part to biblical mechanics is wrapping the Bible around itself in swaddling clothes, even as Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes. So I think that this should serve as a good basis for you, the new listener, on exactly what my view of eschatology is. It's not pre, it's not mid, it's not post. It's promise. Everything, all prophecy, is only designed to fulfill the promise to Abraham. You will take note, ladies and gentlemen, that the chapter that the promise comes from that is the most prophetic chapter of all chapters in the Bible. You will take note that this is when God instructs Abraham to divide the sacrificial animals. And verse 17 in the KJV. And it came to pass... That when the sun went down and it was dark, behold a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between the pieces. This entire chapter is where prophecy comes from. All prophecy is just fulfilling the promise that you would be numbered like the stars in heaven and the sand of the seashore. All prophecy comes from that. So that is my view of prophecy. And this is how the Bible, God's Holy Word, can only be learned through reading, writing, and arithmetic. It is a perfect mechanical structure. It is a perfectly designed mechanism. If you have any questions about anything, that's where you're going to find it. The Bible. 
God's holy word. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed. <laughs>